Are you ready to level up the podcast for leaders, entrepreneurs, and business with your hosts, Jose Medina and Crystal Garcia? It's time to level up. Welcome back to another episode of the Undeniable Level Up podcast with your host, Jose Medina and Crystal Garcia. And today we're here to talk about demystifying digital dough. What is this thing called crypto? Kind of rhymed a little bit. For some of our listeners who follow our professional development and self-improvement discussions, you may be asking how discussion of cryptocurrency is a relevant topic for us to discuss. And to those listeners, I would say financial health is one of the eight wellness categories. And with everything that's going on with the dollar and Russia's and China's plan to move away from the dollar, I think there's no better time to discuss crypto than now. Now, I have some friends and associates who purport to understand crypto, and I'll be honest, I have a crypto wallet with a little bit of cryptocurrency, but I'd be lying if I told you that I totally understand everything about it. I know how to invest in it, but I have no idea how to spend it. (laughs) If you're like me, then you got a lot of questions too. And here to help us demystify this mystifying moolah is none other than crypto expert Carl Jackson. Hi, Carl, and thank you for joining us today on the show to discuss the ins and outs of cryptocurrency. Jose and I met Carl about a year and a half ago when he was working as a tax attorney. This guy is a tax wizard of the highest order, a financial genius, and a business structure master. And now, a cryptocurrency colossus. Carl, did you grow up in Houston? (laughs) Tell us about yourself. Oh, wow, guys. First of all, thank you for the amazing intro. I really appreciate the kudos. Oh, you're uh, welcome. <laughs> I think I got we a mean more it. years to really earn that. <laughs> but I'll take it right now. I appreciate it. Uh, so I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. I've lived in Houston about eight years, but I started my career in accounting uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, that's where, where my family is. That's where my wife's from. That's where we met. Uh, we moved here in uh, 2014. My wife at the time, I hope, Hopefully she's okay with me disclosing it. She she's a, she we moved here uh, for her to be a DA here in Houston. Yeah, and I tagged along. Okay, um, she convinced me to go to law school. Wow. Uh, so yeah, so that's <laughs> so, awesome. So yeah, a great great example to live with, right? Uh, so I went to the University of Houston Law Center, uh, where I got my JD and my LLM in tax law, Masters of Tax Law, and uh, afterwards I started at a big four accounting firm and a smaller estate planning firm, and now I'm at a, a larger law firm here in, in Houston, and I, and I love every bit of it. Uh, so thank you for having me on the show. St. Louis, when you were growing up, what kind of student were you in school? And So I was the type of student where I was... Straight A's. I guess I, guess I should say <laughs> I was a genius because I was always bored in class. Yeah. Like I had the answers. I did great <laughs> on the tests. The homework, though... Yeah, <laughs> but but I, I always got A's on my test though. I think yeah. that, that, that's what matters. But my grandmother was a was a teacher, so she taught me how to read at an yeah. early age. I think I remember reading when I was like two. So just going through, and I also like learned how to do multiplication and division when I was yeah. like three, four years old. Wow. Yeah. So my my grandmother just instilled that in me. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. So that love of learning. Yeah, yeah, man. I think it's important, like learning oh, yeah. at those early ages. I think that's what carried me through law school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you no, know what's funny is that a lot of people, I think, we put limited beliefs on children and say they can't learn until this age. I can't do this with them until this age. And I think it's very limiting because kids are capable of learning at very, very early ages. No, I agree, and I, I think like right now, I see a lot of people with tablets. Like my, like most children in my family have tablets. My, my, 
I guess it's a way to kind of distract children. But if you put something that's educational on there instead of a cartoon, you know, it definitely would benefit them. And, I, and also, yeah. I see a lot of kids that learn languages and yeah, and also instruments at an early age. So uh, I think I learned how to read at an early age. That's why I, I naturally became an attorney. Like, yeah, I love. <laughs> I guess so, I love documents. At what point in your education, as you were going through school, did you decide that that's something that you wanted to do, go to college or become an attorney? I know you started off like kind of thinking about the uh, the accounting piece of it. So kind of how, how did that work out? Like, what was that thought process for you? When I was a sophomore in college, yeah, uh, I was interning at a, a regional accounting firm in Missouri. Okay. And uh, it was it was a regional firm is, you know, they still have the marble floors and you know, the flat screen TVs when you walk into the lobby. So still intimidating, especially coming from where I came from, which which was the, the, the polar opposite of that. Right. But I, I like money. So I kind of saw where the partners were at, in those regional firms. Right. And I looked at their salary potential, even at 20. And I'm just like, wow, you know, they're doing a lot of work for, I don't know if I can say numbers, but like $200,000 or yeah. quarter million dollars. And I'm just like, well, if they have to work that hard for that much, for that money, I think I should become an attorney. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I think I should become an attorney. So that was my first thought. And I, I remember when I was, I guess, my junior year and the senior year of college, I saw some inequities. I guess I started to mature as a man, and I yeah. started looking at the world, and, and specifically with minorities in St. Louis and how there's a, a huge um, divide or there, a lack of resources. I don't know what it is when you look at the black community in terms of our legal education our treatment within the legal system mm -hmm. and I was encouraged to do something about it. So that was my second thought. I, I felt like I wanted to become a DA like my wife actually became in order to help, not to just prosecute more along the lines of maybe I need to understand someone's situation to help rehabilitate them. Cause I feel like that's what we are missing in our communities that are primarily uh, minorities like Houston, right? Which is like 75% minority. Right. But if you look at the DA's office, it doesn't reflect right. that diversity. I met my wife, and that's a long story how we met. But uh, it, like in terms of her encouraging me to go ahead and finish becoming an attorney and go to law right. school, I feel like that was the final push I needed and encouragement to go ahead and jump off, you know, the cliff and you know take the LSAT. Mm -hmm. I took the LSAT during our third year of marriage, and watching, did you study well, for it? Well, she was. I studied hard for it. Yeah, yeah I really did. <laughs> that, that's when you had to study for it. Yeah, hopefully no one from my old job at Medicredit is listening because they saw me, they caught me studying while I was working <laughs> a lot. So, and I think I did well on the LSAT and that they gave me the opportunity to get into law school. Uh, but watching my wife go through law school, that, that was educational and encouraging right. because it just kind of demystified it to see like her friends and all her colleagues go through it and see their stresses. And on the outside looking in, they're stressed out because they're in right. it. But on the outside looking in, I'm like, that doesn't look like it's that stressful. Yeah. But it really is. It right. really, it really yeah, is. Yeah. But it demystified uh, law school for me. So um, made it real. It, yeah, made, made, it, made it, real. it real. Yeah, yeah it made yeah. it real. Yeah. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I know we're here today to talk about crypto. What was your first introduction with crypto? And where did you fall into love with cryptocurrency and, and the love of that knowledge? My very first introduction with crypto well, the first meaningful introduction was by a client of mine. I want to give him a shout. His name's Hurt Porter. He is a person that is all about education, a former military, and I know he worked in cryptocurrency. So he, from back in 2012 and prior to 2010, oh, wow. uh, overseas. So apparently crypto's been around a long time. 
But he encouraged me to he, he encouraged me not to invest in cryptocurrency, but to educate myself about cryptocurrency so that I know what I'm investing in first. So he is all about, you know, educating yourself on why we need Bitcoin. Maybe the reason why we need Bitcoin is different for every person. But there there's just like one, you know, fundamental truth about technology. But in terms of why you're investing in Bitcoin, like what your goals are, I think that's that's kind of personal. So that was like 2000, like that was fairly recently, like 2020. Right. Oh, yeah. Wow. I took that first year and I started acquiring uh, Bitcoin <laughs> without right. being educated. Yeah. Like so, me. <laughs> yeah. I think part of the education is going through the cycles. If you end up buying at the top and selling and getting completely out and not allowing yourself to feel that burn, a lot of people do that and they do themselves a disservice because if they wait it out, because Bitcoin is a long-term proposition, no one who's held Bitcoin for the long-term is down. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, oh, like, maybe there's a short-term period right now because people bought in 2021, but anyone who bought before 2021, which is, like, 10 years, going back to, right. you know, going back to 2010, everyone's up. Everyone's up, yep. Yeah. No, no, that's really good because I, I think even with, with regular stocks and when we invest, I think a lot of people always think it's a it's a quick win. And when you look at the the long game of it, everyone's always up, even with stocks. And a lot of people yeah. are impatient, even yeah. with investing, though. We live in a world where we want everything right now. And so sometimes it's hard to get out of that mindset. Mark Kennigberg, the founder of Bitcoin Chaser, says blockchain is the tech. Bitcoin is merely the first mainstream manifestation of its potential. Do you agree with Mark? Are we still at the beginning of what crypto will be? Absolutely. Going back to Sumeria, right, and looking at forms of communication and writing, some of the tablets that we've discovered going back five, 10,000 years ago were individuals recording transactions, right? And now we use the written word and that technology to do far more than just record transactions. And the same thing with Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is a language. The blockchain technology is a language. We're using it to record transactions currently. So that's what the Bitcoin piece is. So I can send $5 to Jose or Crystal over the blockchain. It's recorded for everyone to see on a public ledger. And that's it. It's pretty basic and rudimentary. But the technology in terms of like recording information. Right. So right, like right now we're just in the transaction recordation phase. In terms of where it will be, the financial guys have had their day. In the future, the property attorneys, people who want patents or want to maintain ownership of their copyrights or have royalties or sell a house, I think that's where crypto is going to go and it's going to move there. We're going to see mortgages. We're going to see mortgage-backed securities. We're going to see just anything that can be recorded, recorded on the blockchain. And it just takes a while to move from one system to the next so that probably won't happen in five years, but we're going to start seeing the infrastructure being built around those new ways of recording information and translating ownership of our, you know, tangible, intangible properties and not just in America. So we don't want to just think about ownership of American property because what the blockchain technology is allowing us to do is to reach a global system. So right, right now, a bunch of countries have their own property laws, but if we all agree that if Jose or Crystal, you guys copyright this show, 
and everything surrounding it and your topics and it's recorded on the block, the public world blockchain, right. then you guys have the claim to that. And if anybody wants to use it in the entire world, then they would have to come to you and pay you for that. So currently right. you would have to register it in the US and England and China and just go through every, it's very inefficient, right? like this current system. So that's just one example of how we're gonna be able to use the blockchain in the future. Right. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. And you'd actually have to take the show and run it through services that you have to pay for to get it out to the people to be able for them to be able to, you know, take advantage of, of the show and then l and listen to it. So that makes a lot of sense. That it'll just be out there for your public consumption, and you can buy it yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's awesome. How do you think the underlying blockchain technology will continue to evolve, and what impact uh, will this have on the cryptocurrency landscape? On the layer one solutions, and we've seen how that has evolved, like layer one Ethereum, Bitcoin just transaction system. So we're just translating information. So I'm going to send you Bitcoin. I'm going to send you Ethereum. Right. And then we have these layer two protocols that are built on top of uh, Ethereum, which is, you know, like Bitcoin in terms of its growth. I don't see Bitcoin evolving, but you, you did ask about, ask about the blockchain technology. Yeah. But, blo you know, in terms of blockchain, because Bitcoin is pretty much perfect for its use case. It doesn't need to really change because it's the most secure network. And that's what we want. If we want to move a billion dollars or a trillion dollars around the globe, Bitcoin is pretty secure to do that. Now, Ethereum, there is no telling to where, like, where it's going to go. All of the technology to be built on top of that. So just imagine asking me, like, where do you think Netscape Navigator is going to go in, in 1997? Could you right. imagine that we would have it on our cell phone? It's free. Every application is running on the internet, even though we don't have to log into the internet. Every application automatically plugs into it. So uh, right. we don't know the types of apps yeah. and the use cases we'll see. But we do know that they do have property ownership. That's starting to bud. Uh, lending transactions are occurring, like real-world lending transactions. I guess we'll get into that a little later. Collateralized borrowing. And also, you know, if you want to be a, a lender as well. So, and this is on a global basis. So, so though, and, and those, those are pretty basic right. know, use cases. So I really don't know where it's, where it's going to go. Yeah. Right. If you compare it to what you just said about Netscape and we could have never imagined that Netscape would be like, that would evolve into a way that would connect it to the net on everything to include like our cameras at our house, our cell phones in our pockets, our cars that now have hotspots. So I would imagine that this could be even more connected, permeate more to the users that are using it in terms of how it will impact us in the future. That's super exciting. And it's also a little bit scary to just to be able to imagine what it could be, you know? Yeah, it, it is scary because we know in order for it to evolve, that the old system has to go away and that's going to be a volatile period. We're already seeing it in banking. So Bitcoin and Ethereum is disrupting the banking industry. We see it in securities regs that the government's going to have to create some type of securities framework to protect the investors from individuals who are setting up unregistered banks, right? Uh, not lending platforms. So, so like FTX was a, a bank and Voyager is a bank. So we see the volatility with, you know, a few of these banks collapsing, like Silicon Valley Bank. It shouldn't have collapsed. What's interesting about Silicon Valley Bank is that it collapsed. It didn't have a lack of liquidity. There was a bank run going on, it, like a potential bank run. However, it was one of the largest holders of USDC's collateral. So the collateral that backs the stablecoin 
like the third largest cryptocurrency out there, th that collateral sitting in Silicon Valley Bank and it was attacked. And what's really cool is that the government guaranteed all of those deposits, right. even though it was in excess of the, what was it? Was $250,000 right, right. threshold. The FDIC. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. yeah. FDIC, they, they, they backstopped and insured all of those deposits. So, wow. so do you remember USDC depegged? I don't know. Like, so it's usually tied to the dollar, but it depegged to like 90 cents when this occurred, when collateral at Silicon Valley bank, you know, like investors thought that that collateral was going to be locked up or gone or lost by the bank which would have collapsed the, the crypto industry. So we did right. have a significant collapse in Bitcoin, like all of the underlying cryptocurrencies outside of USDC, but the, the federal government backstops it. So they know that there is some value there and they, they, they probably understand that this is the next evolution of banking and we need to go in that direction. And then to go back to your other question. So for property recordation and property transactions, I think the hardest part, and I thought about it a lot, the hardest part, in, like, if we take a simple deed, there, like the deed recordation system is run by right. counties. Mm. I don't know how many counties there are in the U.S. Right. right. So first of all, we have to go to each county and ask them to <laughs> accept cryptocurrency transfers as a valid method of recordation in the county. Right. Because uh, currently right now, some, some counties don't even allow electronic filing. Right. Like in Harris County, you can electronically file if you're an attorney, but if you're an individual, you have to paper file. Right. And, and then we also have to look at the state law. So states have to draft laws that recognize cryptocurrency or some form of cryptocurrency or NFT as a deed. And that deed has to possess certain characteristics like this NFT has to has to be an electronic deed. So we need those laws. Right. So once we have those laws in place, like at the state and county levels, uh, which is going to take a lot of work to do, then. We're going to be able to see all like I'm going to have an app on my crypto wallet. It's going to have my deed in it and I can sell you my house right now without any trust agents. So I don't need an attorney. I don't need uh, you see it on my phone. You see, I, I own the NFT, so we don't need to do a title search. You right. Know, you know, I own it. Mm -hmm. No one else owns it. And someone could have leaned on it. So then we got to think about, you know, do I have predators out there? So. Because they can see you own it too. They can. So yeah. now is there going to be a way for a creditor to put a lien on that token? Right. Or at least will there be information available to prevent someone from selling it? Or if as a buyer, can I just see that there's a lien on there? If we do a title search, we'll just see that, that there's a lien right. in, in the D record. So uh, there there's a... That's really interesting, yeah. man. I'm thinking from the terms of uh, looking at that scenario and thinking how much money you will save by not having to hire an attorney, not having to hire someone to come do all the paperwork. That would be such an easy transaction between you and I if you're selling me a piece of property. Not only that, but two people can buy the same property. Like, we can co-buy that property. No, that's a good point. It'd be simpler. No, I agree. You guys would eliminate the need for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Or With the cost. And a real estate agent, for sure. <laughs> yeah, especially if they recognize their transfer as a D. So the question, right. like, so that's as a D transfer. So it's just in thinking, do we need to have an actual physical deed paper drafted with the transaction ID on it? along with the NFT transfer to finally memorialize that transaction. Maybe it'll be somewhere in that vein because, you know, the old system and the new system will have to interplay for a while. Yeah, yeah. But I can see, like, eventually there'll be, it'll be completely paperless. Like, there's no way I would have ever imagined that we would have been able to pay for stuff without money. 
like 30 years ago. I would never imagined, I will never touch money. And to think into the future to say, oh, well, I can probably sell a house without ever touching a piece of paper. It's doable. And doing uh, a mortgage right now is so extensive. The yeah. paperwork that you have oh to my do, God. all the checks that you and have to And the time. Think about yeah. how long it takes to close. Like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And that long process of, hey, I just want to buy this, you know? Or I got three or four people that all want to put their money together and buy this. So much easier to do in that imaginary future. If I can, so that's actually happening now. So- there is a real world, it's called real world asset transaction on the MakerDAO protocol. So MakerDAO is a Ethereum protocol that creates the stablecoin DAI. And just high level, how it works is I'm, I'm a, a MakerDAO token holder. I'll buy a MakerDAO uh, token for a thousand bucks. And I say that'll give MakerDAO the ability to mint 500 DAI. You know, this is high level. Yeah. Uh, so they'll mint 500 die and loan it out. So like right now, you know, you can, if you buy Bitcoin, as you mentioned, like you want to know how to spend your money or spend your Bitcoin. So if you want to hold your Bitcoin and I sell it, which I always recommend, if you place it on a lending protocol, so Bitcoin's at $30,000 today, let's say the, you can borrow 50% of it or 60% or 70% depending on the protocol, you can go to MakerDAO lock your Bitcoin up in a vault, that's what they call it, yeah. and collateralize a loan. Oh. So you're seeing right now interest rates of about 3% to borrow on your Bitcoin. So what you'll do is you'll get a stable coin, and you'll go, you can go to a broker and then translate that into dollars in the cash if you need the cash. And now you still own the Bitcoin, so long as the amount borrowed doesn't meet the liquidation threshold. So let's say the liquidation threshold, you borrow 50000 uh, the liquidation threshold's eighty thousand. Right. You know, so as long as the value of your collateral doesn't fall to the eighty thousand dollar liquid liquidation threshold, then your collateral is always going to be yours. Okay, so that's MakerDAO, just like base level. So last year or two years ago, a company called Success Capital, uh, which I'm very impressed with, and uh, I've talked to the C CEO of Success Capital. He's amazing, and he gave me pretty much a, a rundown, even though it's public. You know, this is all the information I'm about to tell you is public, but um, what they're doing is amazing. So they went to MakerDAO, Success Capital went to MakerDAO and made a proposal to borrow $16 million or get a $16 million uh, credit facility. Yeah. And it's as simple as going on a Discord chat because as a MakerDAO holder, token holder, I have a vote. Uh, someone can submit a proposal to borrow money from me and every, all the other token holders. Right. And we can vote on that. Like anyone can submit a proposal to vote. And we can vote on that same day. Do we want to lend the money or not? So we're acting as our own bank. Right. Uh, so 6S Capital, they came up with a great idea to do uh, tenant credit lease financing. I have a top flight, top notch tenant. Apple, Google, Tesla, mm -hmm. Target, 7-Eleven. They're never going to not pay their, their rent. Right. Right. So my credit with this tenant, if I can get them locked in with a, in a 10-year lease, that lease is pretty much paid. Right. So they have loan agreements with MakerDAO that they submitted before they were approved for the credit facility. It showed them, hey, if we do have a, a credit facility, the collateral will be these leases. And we promise that we'll only lease our buildings that we build with the, with the borrowed money. And we're only going to lease it to these grade A lessors, right? So the MakerDAO community liked what they saw. They appreciated the experience of the, of the Success Capital team, 
And they granted them a credit facility to wow. borrow $60 million to build assets in the real world. The only thing I think about, and if there's if there are people out there wondering, okay, well, well, how did they do that? And is it really that complicated? It's really not if you just understand. It's it's a mortgage transaction. Right. There's a deed of trust. MakerDAO has a deed of trust on the property. And then the second question is, like, the enforcement. So there's a trust that has an attorney as the trustee or another individual. MakerDAO is the beneficiary. The trustee acts on behalf of MakerDAO. In the agreements, the credit facility agreement, in the default provision, if they don't pay their interest payments, if they don't, you know, if they don't, you know, put in the right tenant, or if they breach any of the covenants and they're in default, then the trustee acts on behalf of MakerDAO. And then the trustees pay with interest payments paid on the drawn down money. So a big picture, it's a pretty simple process. I think we're going to see more of those uh, in the future when we talk about mortgages. But we can't get away from having individuals because we need the enforcement agent. Right. As a MakerDAO token holder, I can approve it, but I'm not going to go look at the property every day, make sure that it's being upkept and they're adhering to every term in the agreement. Right. Make sure they're not in default. So we just hire a trustee, or they're going to be a mortgage companies. Maybe some of the mortgage yeah. companies will pivot and become the enforcement arm right. for these. So, so some type of property manager. Maybe banks will build an arm to be that bridge between maker DAO and the borrower. Right. But now the liquidity. What's interesting, it, it, like in that scenario, it, the liquidity is going through the bank again, but it doesn't originate from the Federal Reserve Bank. The money originates, well, ultimately it does because I, I got my money from the Federal Reserve Bank. It's the make, MakerDAO token holders who are the Federal Reserve in this instance. Right. They're approving the lending through the banks instead of the banks being at the, you know, at the forefront and them approving it. It's MakerDAO approving it. So you're it, almost getting rid of the middleman in essence. You are. And not only that, you're expanding it. So you're getting rid of the middleman which is the banks who what are charging like seven or eight <laughs> percent. Yeah. And as if you're a bank of America shareholder, I think you're getting between two and 3%, which, which is not bad or, or it might be less now. I know Wells Fargo is like 6% or 5%. You know, there's just usually higher, but based on what right now, uh, bank prices or uh, bank share prices just collapsed recently. So you're getting 5% of less than what you pay for. <laughs> like the, if you get, if you get 50 bucks two two months ago, you're getting, three percent on 30 bucks so right getting rid of the middleman is going to be key to globalization right so if i want to loan money to someone or or someone wants to borrow money from south america uh, or nigeria or brazil or india they can go to MakerDAO token holders and ask for the same loan that we can right you know or that 6s capital asks for the same credit facility and they just go through the same process. Right. So it's not ba- geographically bound or bound by any uh, legal construct. It's open to the entire world because the DAI is a cryptocurrency that can be translated into whatever currency that's needed right. uh, to use in that jurisdiction. Right, right. So that, so you don't have to worry about converting like the dollar to the yen or the, you know, so to, to another type of currency. Once the DAI hits the broker... Right. The the broker should have liquidity, maybe not in the Chinese currency, but they should be able to, you know, they probably want to get dollars. To be yeah. honest with you. And there, there, there's a question here that we're going to get to, you yeah. know, why they want to get dollars. 
I was kind of thinking about discrimination, right? And I was thinking about lending discrimination. And I know that's been a problem for a lot of minorities over the years. And I was thinking about what that would do to individuals who are often discriminated against and and have difficulty getting approvals for loans and where certain demographics don't have those challenges. I was kind of thinking of that as you were kind of explaining that, because I I think that that would eliminate that ability to to discriminate because now you're pretty much funding yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, because credit and your social credit and like if you want to look at borrowing against your cryptocurrency holdings, it's completely there's no credit necessary right to borrow right unlike your house like if you want to get a mortgage in your house, you got to have good credit right but with 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 Bitcoin or ethereum or any other cryptocurrency, you can borrow against it today right um, well not I won't say any other there are some you know like let's say the top chain link all the layer ones uh, Cardano, Bitcoin, mm-hmm. ethereum. Compound Ave, which are decentralized lending protocols, yeah. you can borrow against those. So, with respect to Cardano and discrimination from a country, you know, perspective, uh, Cardano is a layer one that's you know going to compete with Ethereum, and you know their main focus is to breach like Africa, right? And I know one project that they have in mind. It's the digitalization of like African or I don't want to say, let's, let's use like Nigeria, uh, Nigeria, like some school systems in uh, Africa don't have the infrastructure to record people's grades right? and where they are in school. So oftentimes people will go from one grade to the other without knowing how they did in the prior grade. Right. So Cardano will allow, like it's going to provide the infrastructure to record that data and wow. store it for the school. So right. now then maybe we're going to get to like eventually Cardano, like knowing everything about your life. And now mm-hmm. maybe you go back to those social factors. If, if, if Cordano records your grades, <laughs> is it going to, are we going to have this picture? Now it's not just how you are as a person <laughs> right. and your credit. It's yeah. like, you were a C you, student. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Denied. <laughs> no, that's kind of scary. That's kinda that scary. is kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but if we want to look at how it could be used in a positive way, which is assisting the African continent in building up its educational system, right. which you know, like we talked about it at the beginning of the podcast, that's so crucial. I mean, you know, not to say that there is no educational system in Africa, but you know, I read, and I don't know if this is true, but there was a quote, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but Vladimir Putin said that. I don't know if this is true. Yeah. <laughs> Said that Africa is a graveyard because Africans go to school in England, they go they vacation in the US and in Europe, they have their money in Swiss bank accounts. Mm. They spend money in France and when they die, they they're buried in their hometown. Wow. And I thought that was kind of profound. Like if if Vladimir Putin really said that, like that that's that's uh that's sad. Yeah. One, I don't know I don't want to know if it, I don't know if it's true. I, I doubt he's been to every African country. Right. So I don't want to just say, you know, he's he knows it all. But if he really said that, he he understands the how the geopolitical structure is cuz he's a part of it. Yeah. But you know, if that's true, then this will assist like yeah. cryptocurrency is going to be huge for developing nations. Oh yeah. 
Can you discuss the potential for decentralized finance uh, to disrupt traditional banking? And I know we talked about that a little bit already, but what are, what are your thoughts on that? I, I feel like banks are there just to record our transactions to help us, you know, save our money, you know, keep it protected. Like right. they're, they're supposed to be a, a method of protecting our money. They get to utilize it, so they pay us an interest rate of whatever that is. And, you know, the world is a great place because of that, right? Yeah. Well, no, it's not a great place because of, <laughs> well, because of yeah. <laughs> Only because uh, you can take my dollars and the banks can take my dollar and do my, whatever they and want and turn it into $10. Right. Yeah. So fractional reserve banking is a problem. And we see that how, how fractional reserve banking works in real life by looking at FTX. Right. FTX is a microcosm because what they did was they created their own token out of thin air and they right. assigned it its own value. Right. And <laughs> they didn't have the underlying ad. They didn't have the collateral to back it up. Kind of <laughs> like if, if we give the bank a hundred dollars and they create a thousand, it doesn't have the, the money to back right. that thousand up. So <laughs> you inevitably see these crashes. It's like cyclical. It's like the debt cycle. And whether the death cycle is normal or not, and we should accept that type of financial infrastructure, I think we should choose whether, like, do we want to be subjected to these types of, like, liquidity crunches? Right. Right, right. Well, I don't want to say, I don't, like, I feel like when I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth, because <laughs> I, I, I do like fractional reserve banking because it creates opportunities yeah. for those who would not necessarily have had the capital. You can go borrow it. Right. To grow. And that's a good thing. But you don't so think that we'll have talking. that ability, but maybe in another way. Yeah, well, yeah. Like right now through MakerDAO, like mm. if we look at MakerDAO or Compound as a microcosm of how decentralized finance can work, where I have cryptocurrency stored on Compound and I, I have borrowings. So I'm getting paid interest on my borrowings and I'm right. utilizing my capital and they they have they have enough collateral value to support any loans that they make, right? Um, you know, so because every every you know per like if you in, in order to borrow you have to have collateral first of all, right? You know, I, I'm kind of torn. Like I, yeah. I agree that cryptocurrency is the key to provide stability in the financial system apart from the banking system. It's kind of like you need both. Because you need the banks for the governments to stimulate the economy. Right. And maybe they'll, they're going to move towards cryptocurrency. Like, maybe the Federal Reserve Bank, you see these um, What's going to happen when we can all see what the government has? <laughs> well, 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 we can see it. We, we can see their balance sheets. We can yeah. see how much money's out there right now. And it's gone up significantly over the last month or so because they were trying to pull it out of the system. But I guess we do. We need both. Like, right? We need to have a vehicle that will stimulate growth because you know that growth you know provides us with technology like cryptocurrency right. and all this amazing e technology and ai so people can borrow money to you know grow those industries and then meanwhile we can have a stable form of saving if people want to save their money in a safe way right you want to save your money in gold like some type of you know, a house you want it, you want it in hard assets, not right. not really in the bank. And if you have, this is for the uber wealthy, like right, right, which we hope to be one day, right. So if you have 
a million dollars in a bank account, only $250,000 is secure. Secure, yeah. Right, so you want to have that the $750,000 deployed in an asset, you know, and if you have a credit, you can always borrow against it. Right. Right, so yep. will cryptocurrency destabilize? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's going to take away some liquidity from banks. They're not going to like that because it's going to be held in cryptocurrency, but that's just going to force banks to participate. Yeah. Now, if I can- So it's go, not going to eliminate them. No, cryptocurrency can't eliminate banks. It yeah. can't. First of all, is like banks have been around for ages, right? Yeah. And and it's the arm of the government. So if if banks go away, then that means the governments go like went away, or the government went strictly to cryptocurrency. What's the infrastructure around disseminating those cryptocurrencies? I guess it's a crypto wallet, right? So if we look at crypto wallets, right, which is our current bank account. Right. Like, like my bank account, like where my Bitcoin and Ethereum and you have some Bitcoin and Ethereum yep. as well, Jose. Yep. And we have our own addresses, which is our account routing and account number. Mm-hmm. I see banks and I see, you know, there are a lot of patents out there. Like Visa has a patent out there. I know Apollo, which is a head fund, has a pat- has a patent out there for a cryptocurrency wallet. And if we think about the wallet, like high level, like big picture, it's a bank account. Right. And it's a bank account that can be held anywhere in the world. Right. So now banks have, like if I'm a U.S. bank and U.S. banks currently can only operate in the United States, mm-hmm. if, a, if a foreign person wants a U.S. bank, that bank account is in the United States. Right. Right. Yep. And you can't get a foreign bank account in Bank of America in South America. Right. However, if Bank of America has a company that builds cryptocurrency wallets mm-hmm. and they have an interface with those wallets. Those are not bank accounts. It's a crypto right. wallet. Crypto However, wallets. if they can, and this is probably where it's going to go one day, if they're going to interface these wallets with the banks, right. it'll probably be a choice. So right now, you know, if you have a ledger, you can connect it to your computer and you know, it's a computer software and you plug your ledger in and it'll ask you, do you want to stake your Ethereum? We'll pay you interest yeah, on your that. Ethereum. Right, so that's just another form of hey, we're a bank. Put your <laughs> Ethereum over here. Yep. We'll pay you a yield. Yep. So and they'll loan it out, and they're yeah. gonna loan it yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna loan your Ethereum out for so they can get yield, so they can right. pay you. Yep. Uh, so it, it's another form of banking. There's no fractional reserve banking component, so we shouldn't see huge collapses in the credit that surrounds it, right? Except for the collateralization. Like there's, you know, cause asset bubbles happen and they, and really the asset bubbles happen because of fractional reserve banking. Right. When the government prints more money, allows banks to loan out more money or decreases the interest rates. Right. We get more money as citizens and then we drive up asset prices. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do in those periods is take our Bitcoin. That's now 250,000. We don't want to sell it. We want to borrow against it. Right. So, yeah, some people get caught in those asset bubbles, but that's generated from a lot of liquidity in the market, for sure. But I'd say if we look at us borrowing against our inflated crypto, it's different from a bank being able to do a no income, no job loan. Right. Right. Or if you are cool with your town banker, you can get a loan without regards to the credit. Right. Or if you're a senator, you can get credit. Or, you know, so it's just like, it's really drawing a line in terms of like credit worthiness. We're getting rid of that, right. that factor. And the, the money is not coming out of thin air. If there's a loan being made on the blockchain 
or in a crypto in a decentralized financial application, yeah, the collateral was there somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, you can trade that's it a to a collateral. Yeah, but we need both. We yeah, need yeah, both, no, we, for sure. Because we want our Bitcoin to go up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, what role do you see cryptocurrencies playing in the global economy, particularly in the countries that are just uh, developing your your third world countries? Yesterday, I was reading an article about the BRIC nations. Yeah, they want to form their own. Uh, well, first of all. The BRIC GDP, I, I got to start confirming the data that, I, that I'm getting. But the BRIC GDP is supposedly is exceeding the G7 countries GDP, which is, you know, America and, you know, the Western nations are a part of. So yeah. we're talking about like China, the Soviet Union, India, Brazil. Their total G, GDP is it's outpacing the, the West's. Right. And we're seeing countries like Saudi Arabia. The United Arab Emirates request to be a part of the BRIC community. Right. Right. So they propose to use one of their currencies right. to transact amongst one of themselves instead of dollars, which is a problem for the U.S., but not a problem on the whole. Right. 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 I'm not I'm not this guy who's like, oh, you know, the dollar isn't the, the global reserve currency. I mean, at one point in time, it wasn't it, the U.S. was fine. And. I think our banking system is smart enough to figure out how to pivot in right. this new economy. But to your question, so developing nations are, I mean, they're going to, if they accept it, they're going to benefit tremendously. Brazil has already accepted it, right? right. Yeah. And we, we know there are other countries who have already made Bitcoin a actual currency within their country. So, and these are developing nations. Right. I think it was El Salvador who, I think that th that country gave Bitcoin to all of their citizens. And I think it was right around when Bitcoin was 30000 or $40,000. But you can become a citizen in some countries if you own a certain amount of Bitcoin and you mm. hold it in that country because they see the value in it. Right. And uh, if I was a developing nation... And I see the, the trajectory that we're going on. Like we're in a situation where the Federal Reserve is clearly trying to avoid hyperinflation by increasing interest rates, which they should do. Right. Um, but it's, you know, we're never going to be out of an inflationary environment. So right. we're trying to avoid hyperinflation, not stop inflation. Right. They have an inflation target. So if the money supply is always going up and the U.S. has said that's its goal is to always increase the money supply by 2%. And then we have some years where it's twenty percent, right? Every every so often, right? Mm -hmm. Then I want to own Bitcoin right. as a developing nation. And then secondly, so I have clients, or and I've read articles about countries like Nigeria and Pakistan, right? They want dollars. They want right. out of their native currency. And then we saw Turkey, like in the middle of the pandemic, we saw Turkey's currency devaluing by twenty percent a week. Right. All right. So if I if I'm getting paid in the Turkish dollar or whatever the currency is, I'm going to immediately want to translate that into a stable coin. Right. Because right now dollars are hard to come by. We see that in Nigeria and Pakistan. Everyone wants to get into dollars. And right now, like we can't even get dollars. Right. So now if I'm a citizen in another country and I was able to get dollars and now I can't. But I have this cryptocurrency that is tied to the dollar or is at least stable. Right. Right. Then I want to convert my currency 
well, my native currency into this crypto. It's more stable. I keep on bringing up Pakistan, but that country, they're intentionally trying to prevent their citizens from getting money out of like they, I don't know if you guys heard of this like in in Nigeria people weren't able to withdraw like they they have like a withdrawal cap like 50 oh, bucks a week did you wow. guys hear about that no no. That's crazy. no yeah yeah it it was some measure like and I'm talking about withdrawal from ATM so I guess they wanted people to use the digital uh oh. Nigerian lira yeah and they've also instituted measures to prevent people from getting cryptocurrency so I have some clients mm. that have that reach out like hey you know Carl I want to become a money transmitter here in the U.S. because what we want to do is, you know, figure out a way to get dollars to Nigeria or mm. I have a relationship with a broker. So what we want to do is, you know, help people get their their Nigerian Lyra into a stable coin. Right. And then we can set up a fund here in the U.S. to receive those as dollars and then they can buy into commodities here in the U.S. Right, right. Because right? they want to own assets, they, and they can go back to Nigeria. So even if they can buy barrels of oil or gold and get it to, to, right. to Nigeria, that's what they're looking for, some stability, stability in the currency, yeah. right? Yeah. So in terms of, like, the question, will developing nations benefit from cryptocurrency? I think, like, cryptocurrency is just like the Internet. It's yeah. going to be a part of their governments like before ours because they need right it. yeah it yeah <laughs> i actually wrote a note and i was i was thinking to myself it's funny how third world countries are adapting to crypto faster than established countries because they need it more than we need it they have more corruption they have more broken systems in their country so in terms of development they actually need the crypto to kind of stabilize themselves so um, it makes a lot of sense Satoshi Makamoto, the mysterious and pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin, stated that the root problem with conventional currency is all the trust that's required to make it work. The central bank must be trusted not to debase the currency, but the history of fiat currencies is full of breaches of that trust. What are your thoughts on that? That's just a history lesson. Yeah. I agree. We, we look to Rome, right? That's a good example of the debasement of currency. We know that they took their coins they mixed it was gold and they started mixing it with tin and it's mm -hmm. supposed to have the same value. You know, that's just a form of debasement of currency right now. We're just able to print dollars instead right. of, you know, <laughs> how we had the gold standard against the dollar and then we got rid of the gold and now there's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I also want to, you know, play devil's advocate. If there is an American dream, then America has to be like monopoly. Right. So right. It, that's the way I think about it. Because in Monopoly, if me and you sit around, eventually one person is going to have all the property and the money. And the money. Right. If we don't start over, then it's no fun for us. Right. We're going to have to take it from you. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's an awesome analogy. Yeah. I like the way Carl plays Monopoly. <laughs> I'm not going to sit back and be a loser. I'm going to figure out how to get some of that property. <laughs> How'd you get those three hotels over there? Right. <laughs> I call it keep, let's keep the party going. Mm -hmm. um, we have to continually create dollars to give the up and coming generations an opportunity to have a slice of the American dream. Right. If the, like if, if money gravitates, if money is a, a form of gravity. So if I have a billion dollars, we probably could, if we all had a billion dollars amongst ourselves, we could set up some businesses that would start to be very profitable. Right. Like some of them would be profitable, some would be losers, but I think we're smart enough to build a business that could, that would generate a lot of money. So right. now our, our billion is attracting all the money out of the system. 
So eventually, and it's going to go into the owner's pocket. Right. And at some point, we're not going to spend it. We, we've, we've bought everything. We have enough properties. So now we're just trying to figure out, okay, well, how do we pay less taxes when I, when I die? How do we get more assets right. to my family? Do I need to buy, you know, this yacht or do I need to buy this property in Europe? And it's not even for you. It's just so that you don't have the money in the bank. Right. Right. So yeah. do I buy this work of art? Right. To, to store. You're just trying to keep what you got. You're just yeah. trying to keep it, not give it to the government. Like. <laughs> right. To, yeah. So so since they don't want to give it to the government, they hire my firm and people like myself to help them right. keep their wealth. <laughs> yeah. So the government has to figure out a way to get money to to the base, right? Right. To, right. to, to the, the have nots. To the up and comers. Yeah. yeah to yeah. the up and people yeah. that want to be productive in society. But if the wealthy keep all, if they keep the wealth and they don't distribute it back, it's like blood. So mm -hmm. if the if the blood's not circulating and it's all collecting at the head, eventually the body's going to die. So right. we need to continually drink water so it doesn't dry up, right? To that quote, I agree that the debasement of currency does act negatively if it's if it goes unchecked. So I would just say, you know, like I would change it a little bit. You know, the central bank must be trusted not to debase the currency. It's like the central bank has to be trusted to debase the currency at the right velocity. Right. So we don't want to debase it at 100% a year. Right. The Federal Reserve has smart enough people to say, you know, 2% growth in our currency matches the growth in our GDP. Right. So if we're adding new people and we're adding productive persons, we want to make sure there's money to get them paid. Right. We have to attract them. We have to keep them here. Mm -hmm. now, now we want to avoid hyperinflation and we also want to, you know, we do want to avoid hyper, hyperinflation. So we have to get the money out in a nutshell, because I, I can go like, I'm going to talk way too much about this. You know, I, I, I kind of agree, but and, yeah. you know, with, with Satoshi and that's why we need this cryptocurrency. However, we still need traditional banking. Yeah. We need the federal reserves. We need intelligent people that understand economics yeah. and that don't want to just make their friends richer. Right. They actually want to grow a world economy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we need both. Yeah. No, that's how, really good. How good. So when I see this, you know, how good yeah. is the security in all of this? So if all my money's in Bitcoin and I don't have any cash, can the government come in and seize my money or like the government's now how they're, how they're sanctioning people. Can they come in and, and block me from getting my money if it's all in Bitcoin So or crypto? You know, right now, I think they're smart enough to block you from transacting, but I don't think that they can just outright steal your cryptocurrency without your public keys. So as long as your public, your private keys, <laughs> as long as your private keys remain private, not public, right? <laughs> then, then, you know, your crypto should be safe. And a good example of that is when F FTX gave the Bohemian government like 200 million ethereum tokens and then they were able to like swap it all out uh the hard part is spending it though so if you want to actually right. get it into into some currency dollars now you got to go through a broker and you got to go through the banking system and that's where you're gonna get cut off so you know they, they can prevent you from utilizing your crypto in the traditional sense but if you want to send it to me you know they can't block it right, right. so if i have if we, if we want to transact then we can um, so uh, I think it's obvious from spending it in actual currency in terms of converting it to real currency. Yeah. To your question, it's very secure, unlike traditional banking, where the government can freeze your account 
Right. If you do have your cryptocurrency in a crypto wallet, you do have privacy. I thought about that a lot because I have to, you know, play devil's advocate and think about uh, ways that my clients will try to game the system by maybe, you know, you know, taking crypto from one wallet to another wallet to another wallet to kind of like right. wash it away right. and to hide it. You know, that that's possible. But, you know, people can see those transactions on the public ledger. You're, you're basically leaving a trail. You're leaving breadcrumbs. <laughs> you're, you're leaving a trail, but, you know, the location. So they'll, they'll be able to see the transactions. They won't necessarily be able to see who owns it, right, who owns that wallet. Right. And they won't be able to access the wallet unless you tell them about it. Right. So if you do make those transactions and you put the wallet, you know, somewhere where it can't be found, you know, that value is just locked and no one can access it. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, this is going to sound bad. <laughs> um, look, I'll use FTX. Yeah. So, you know, they, they were, they're able, they're starting to find where the assets are. Right. And we know that they move money from FTX into to Sam Bankman Freed into other people's accounts. And they're starting to trace those down. Right. But theoretically they could have moved billions of dollars of value into various wallets that are hidden. Right. And no no one can, you know, access that value without, you know, the private key and the actual device. It, like it's it's very it's very secure. I'm thinking about the crypto killer, the one uh with the with the lady who went out there and like stole them billions of dollars, you know, the one that we were we were talking about the other day. Yeah, she's on the FBI's most wanted. But what I found curious is that they probably oh. can't trace that money. They they don't know where she's at and they can't get the money. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, she's gone with it. So um I would think that it would be very secure, uh, considering that. It's so secure. I think in terms of asset protection from <laughs> in the event of divorce, right. things like that. So pushing uh, it to another wallet. Yeah, yeah, pushing it to another wallet mm -hmm. and you know, putting that wallet, you know, in a safety deposit box. Right. It, right. it probably worked just as good as a prenup. I never thought about you know, that. Yeah. So now, you know, we know that I had that value in that wallet before we were married. Right. So that is, you know, it's we, sealed. Um, how do you think regulators and governments will respond to the growing influence of cryptocurrencies <laughs> and what effect will this have on the industry's future? Right now, the SEC, for some reason, are pretending like they don't like cryptocurrency. Yeah. They, they're bringing enforcement actions against crypto really to create a framework, I think. I think that the SEC and the government actually appreciates cryptocurrency, whether you know these cryptocurrencies are going to fall under the, the, the CFTC or the SEC is to be determined right. as we know um, the SEC wants to say everything's a security. The Commodities Commission believes that Bitcoin is a commodity. Mm. Uh, the, now the, the next question is, is Ethereum a commodity or is it a security? I think, you know, Ethereum, you know, it, it could be both. I, right. I utilize Ethereum for to process transactions. Right. So in order to, you know, to borrow against your collateral, you got to have Ethereum to right. use as the the way to pay the validators to execute the transaction for you. Right. So I'm using, you know, Ethereum as more of a commodity than a, than an actual security. Right. I'm not holding it in the hopes of some type of appreciation or accession of wealth. Right. I'm using it. Right. For right. a purpose. You know, there's arguments both ways. So some people are holding Ethereum because they expect, have an expectation of profits and you know you know ethereum right now if you stake it 
you're getting paid yield on it. So right. what is what exactly is that? Is that a, a dividend or is it an interest payment? I think we're going to figure all that out. And the reason why we have to figure that out <laughs> and to go to tax to go back to ta- uh, to talk about taxes. Yeah. The IRS um I just read a an email uh, yesterday. They're they're about to go after individuals making a half a million dollars or more very heavily. Mm. Uh and and high net worth in work individuals. Yeah. You know, there's a task force that they they're they're putting together. It's something like the the anti-inflation tax task force. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're using it to get money out of the system. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So by enforcement of the tax code and the SEC, the CFTC, we need to figure out where, you know, where these tokens fall so that we can determine the appropriate way to tax them. Right. uh, So that we can pull that money out of the system. So to go back to your question, you know, like last year, the SEC put a task force in place to research crypto its use cases, whether it's going to be beneficial to America or not, whether they can they, whether they can stop it. I think that they found out that it's extremely useful, that they need to enforce these other altcoins that are coming up, you know, where people are trying to make a thousand X or 10,000 X. Right. And because, you know, like Dogecoin. Need- well, no, <laughs> you know, like Dogecoin once upon a time, maybe. So right now, you know, I mean, that's a good point. You know, like Dogecoin back in the day, yeah. But, you know, now it's grown to, right. I look at Dogecoin as the everyday man's Bitcoin. So right. it's evolved. Yeah. So if I want to uh, do a transaction over the Bitcoin network, Bitcoin eventually, like right now, let's say it'll take, you know, 30 minutes to process a $100,000 transaction or 20 minutes or something like that. Right. Eventually, when the hash rate goes up and the difficulty to process Bitcoin transactions goes up, do I want to wait? If I want to send someone two hundred dollars, right? Do I want to wait thirty minutes? To Probably send, you not. Know, to execute that transaction, yeah. I think Dogecoin provides you know the ability to move that a lot quicker uh, than than Bitcoin. But you can also use the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network works as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a shard of bitcoin right but dogecoin works in that same vein that's why if you look at dogecoin it's historically been in the top 10 yeah you know cryptocurrencies in terms of market cap right for like the last five years so people say it's a meme coin but i'm invested in some i have some tokens and some solid projects right like compound which is a lending protocol Ave, which is a lending protocol, Chainlink, which is a protocol that provides the information necessary to execute the transaction. So it feeds data to these protocols and Dogecoin outranks them all. Right. So people laugh at Dogecoin while in the background, people that understand the technology, yeah. they're holding on to they're it. They're holding on to it. Yeah. I'm and holding on to my Dogecoin. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. I would. Yeah. I would as well. Now, do, do, you know Dogecoin Millionaire? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's not. I don't think he's a yeah. millionaire anymore. No, I think he lost all his money. Yeah, so. <laughs> but, but you know, he decided that he was going to hold. Yeah. So yeah, it yeah. was a decision. It's, it's not a loss until until you don't hold. You know. <laughs> right. So people say, should should he have sold? I don't know if he should have sold or not. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he could have sold and then bought more pay tax and then bought yeah. more Dogecoin. You know, continue to hold. Or continue, yeah, continue, yeah, continue to hold. To hold yeah, you know, continue to hold and yeah. then borrow from it. Like, yeah. You know, yep. so, no. so yeah. The long, it's always a long game.
Um, what are your thoughts on the increasing popularity of non-fungible tokens, NFTs, and the impact on the uh, <laughs> on on uh, various industries, in, including uh, including art, gaming, and intellectual property? For its case right now, yeah, yeah. In terms of digital art, <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not sold on digital art. Uh, some people enjoy it because they want to make money. You know, you can buy a Snoop Dogg photo, <laughs> and I think Donald Trump he just recently issued an NFT. That will allow you to like go to events with him. Right. I think that's a smarter use. Like it's like yeah. a ticket. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, something you can Mark use. Cuban, yeah. Mark Cuban. Uh, he likes the NFT idea. You know, for tickets and other people, they look at it as a ticket for entry. And I gotta give a shout out to Whale, who has a this great idea to. Um, it's an NFT company that's bringing together entrepreneurs and intelligent folks like yourselves as a community so that, you know, if someone holds a well NFT and we have an event like this and let's say, you know, there's others here and then, you know, just a, just a regular NFT holder wants to, they want, Hey, I want to meet Jose and crystal. Hey, I have the, the NFT, you know, right. and you can say, Oh, come on, you're, you're a member. So right, it, it right. provides some exclusivity some type of membership. Events. Some, yeah, 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 yeah. I see that. I see yeah, that. Or if they want like, you know, a one-on-one with you to talk about your past and, Maybe they can just buy the NFT. So that's that's what Donald Trump yeah, did, yeah. and that's that's probably one use case. I, I do think the NFT is going to be represent. It's going to be the deed in the future. So right. something that memorializes that paper document, and then ultimately, will there be a currency that just is the deed? I, I think that that's going to evolve into that. But first, yeah. we need something that ties back to the physical deed. Cop, like you mentioned, uh, copyrights. Right. I, I agree. You know, NFTs will. Served well to memorialize ownership of our, you know, our property rights. Right, right. Yes. Intellectual property and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. I think about it, and I, I, when I think about NFTs, I really think about like expensive artwork that, like maybe like a five million dollar painting that I can't buy, but I can buy a portion of that five million dollar painting that then appreciates as that painting appreciates. Then my my investment in that painting would also appreciate as an NFT. That's how I always thought it would work. Mm. But then they came out with all these little cartoonish, like little NFT images that people were buying up, and that really don't really hold any value because there's nothing substantial in the real world that correlates to that. I was thinking that was the application, but yeah, I, I see your point. I see your point. Well, I think that's a good application for NFTs. Yeah, even an athlete. Like let's say for example, you have an yeah. NFT who's an athlete, and and you invest in that athlete. And as that athlete's value increases, your investment in that athlete increases, and you know what I'm saying. And so that's how I was thinking about it. Like, yeah, no, I, definitely that that will be a use case in the future if there's yeah. a way to make money on it. You guys ever seen? Uh, it's a documentary. I think it, like Leonardo's called the Lost Leonardo. Hmm. That's what it's called. It is the picture of Jesus Christ. It was hmm. found in some back room in a in a gallery in New Orleans by some, uh, I guess, some treasure hunters. And they paid this woman to restore it. This is a long story to get back to the NFTs, but you got to know this. You guys probably probably got to watch it. But to make a long story short, this lady was amazing at restoring art. Yeah. And eventually, people got a uh, a Soviet oligarch, a Russian oligarch. Yeah. Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) A Russian (laughs) oligarch. (laughs) But if if you're an oligarch, I'm thinking Soviet Union. Yeah. What's an oligarch? I guess, yeah, so a Russian oligarch bought it. I think he bought it for like $130 million. Wow. He was a little frustrated because 
once he appraised it, he found out that, hey, a lot of the work was done by this woman who just had great talent. But right. whether it was the original painting, or it was mostly like Her work. recently yeah, renovated. Yeah. Just to make a long story short, like there was this big auction of the painting. They did a road show. They put this painting in, in Paris and sent it all across the world in the U.S. And a... Saudi Arabian prince bought it from this Russian oligarch for four hundred fifty million dollars. Oh my god! And I hope that's the right number because I because if yeah. I said the lowest, if I if the number's too low, he probably, yeah, probably <laughs> call me and say, "No, I paid five hundred million." Because yeah, this is about ego. I think he paid four hundred fifty million dollars for yeah. it, or more, and now he just has it hidden somewhere. Wow! But but to your NFT point, it would be cool if you could fractionalize that painting. If I was a Russian, I'm like you know, this is a, an original Leonardo da Vinci painting. That no one ever seen. Yeah. I'm selling a hundred units of it. Yeah. So if how much, like you have like ten Saudi yeah. Arabian princes. <laughs> That's right. To buy it, right. Yeah. Probably Just imagine, more. you probably could have made the 450 million and still kept the painting. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, you still have it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even think about that. It's still you still have it on your wall, and just not everybody owns a piece of it. You know what I'm saying? And that's really it's an investment when you think about it. Is is just like owning a uh, a sports team, or or you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you're as How a do value. You verify it, it exists. Well, it exists because it exists. You know, <laughs> it exists. <laughs> the, the NFT would would cause it to exist. You sound like, like a like a scam <laughs> artist. <laughs> no, no, that's a good question. I think the trust. We still need the trust yeah, yeah. in between. So we need, you know, the auction houses and or yeah. we'll, the appraisal. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's some vaults out there. There's a really cool vault in like an airfield in like Dubai. It's like some tax free zone where the wealthy store all of their wow. expensive works of art. Right. Wow. So if I owe you $50 million, I'm not going to see you cash because yeah. you don't need $50 million. You already got $50 million. So I'm like, let me just pay you in this painting. Let yeah. me just pay you in this Egyptian right. artifact. Yeah. I'm going to send it from my vault to yours, and it's completely tax-free. Right. Kind of crazy. Right. So that's where, I guess, you would store really it cool. in some yeah. mega vault like that. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. really dope, actually. I think we need to get into that business. <laughs> the storage business of, like, expensive stuff. <laughs> oh, man. No, I, I agree. Adam Draper, founder of Boost VC, said, The blockchain does one thing. It replaces third-party trust with a mathematical proof that something happened. Adam Draper's quote succinctly captures the essence of what blockchain technology offers, a decentralized trustless system that relies on mathematical proofs and cryptography to ensure security and transparency. This shift from relying on third parties to mathematical proof has the potential to revolutionize various aspects of our lives, from finance to supply chain management. You know, we got to think about with AI as well. So yeah. where will AI and, and the storage of data on the, on the blockchain, how is that going to work? Like, Because right now it's pulling information from the Internet like nothing. I can't wait for that merger to happen. Like, I yeah. know Elon Musk working on that yeah. uh, with chat. Uh, what is it, GPT? That mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Have well, you used it? I, yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've used it as well. I say, while I'm working, I'm like, hey. Can you please write a I'm sorry email to my wife <laughs> to, to tell her I'm sorry for being at work so late? As it integrates with other tools, it's just going to become an amazing productivity booster 
because uh, I, I was hearing that it was they're already integrating it with Microsoft Office so that it'll automatically develop responses, like options of different responses that you can then just choose the response you want to send. And instead of drafting an entire email, like within seconds, you're responding. It's going to be a game changer for sure. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, so there was recently a, a so some people <laughs> they're, they're utilizing it way too freely. So did you guys hear about uh, I, I don't know if it was a Microsoft engineer or Amazon or Google, some engineer might have been a Google engineer that put code into ChatGPT and was like, hey, hey, here code like can you finish this right. for me? But if you do that, you're making it public information. So uh, uh, I'm not sure what happened to that employee, but that that, that was an article out there. This, this happened like two weeks ago. My wife sent, sent me the article like, hey, you got, you got to stop using chat GPT because, you know, that information is public. So don't yeah. put your client's information in it. Yeah. Like, hey, can, you know, Crystal Gar- write an email to Crystal Garcia. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's out there now. Yeah. You- <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so. Um, scalability has been a long-standing challenge for many cryptocurrencies, particularly for Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, how do you envision this issue being addressed in the future in terms of scalability? Man, I, I wish I was that well-versed in cryptocurrency to, to, to just you know give you an answer on how they're going to solve the problem. I know like Polygon is a, a layer two protocol that works on the Ethereum blockchain to provide that scalability. You know, to provide the quickness of transactions and the processing power. Yeah, uh, Ethereum it itself is is continually being upgraded. You know, to scale up, so, and that's why Ethereum 2.0 just came out. Right. I think Bitcoin adoption is in terms of the scalability of nodes. It's going to happen organically. Eventually, China is going to. You know, I'm, uh, hope I hope China removes this ban of Bitcoin mining because people are still mining Bitcoin. Right. And another fact that I need to confirm because I hear all my facts uh, from other podcasts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, China is still the second largest Bitcoin mining country in the world. And I think that can be confirmed. Right. By, right. You know, because they, they have the nodes online. Yeah. But um, so the scalability of Bitcoin is going to happen just organically and slowly over time. You know, the engineers at Ethereum and Polygon and also Cardano, like the other top layer ones, you know, they're, you know, they have the talent to, you know, to, to improve the code, they're, up, they're upgrading it. So, and, and they also, it's public information. So they right. have uh, the plan for scalability laid out for most of the top cryptocurrencies out there. Right, so that's, right. uh, those are the only ones, I only look at like the top 100, 120. And even within those, let's say I only look at 20, or so cryptocurrencies within them. A lot of them are the layer one tokens. Right, right. And the ones that, the layer one tokens that have strong teams and also some institutional support. Right. Yeah, that's my two cents. I, I'm yeah, not yeah. an engineer. That, that's as far yeah, as I can yeah. say. No, you know, that's good. That's it's good. being addressed right now. So yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. Um, how do you see the relationship between centralized and decentralized exchanges evolving? And what does this mean for the accessibility of security of digital assets? <laughs> that's funny. Like centralized <laughs> exchanges don't like decentralized yeah. don't like decentralized <laughs> exchanges at all. They're taking their they're taking their transaction revenue. <laughs> they hate it. Yeah. Uh, so I, that's a that's a really good question. They're gonna have to learn how to operate uh, with each other. But yeah. you know the SEC is is the one that can just kill the entire uh, centralized g- game from a regulatory perspective and right. just make it harder. I don't think that it's gonna be possible to prevent people from utilizing it 
a centralized exchange, but there are ways to prevent centralized exchanges from operating here in the U.S. Yeah. You know, but, you know, can I just go to another country? Can I can I get a VPN? Or is there going to be some wallet that will allow me to interface with the exchange? That's probably going to happen. So they're going to have to learn how to live with one another. Like Toro, I think Elon Musk, Elon Musk has amazing vision, right? So with right. Twitter. So he's going to take the social networking of Twitter and merge it with Toro, right? Mm -hmm. And allow people to do transactions. I'm thinking about instantaneously in Twitter. Like if something's trending, it's all, you can just go buy it. And, and, you know, mm. that is, you know, for a person that I like to do my own research, but I get it. Some people, they see what's trending and they click the button and they're right. going to buy it. It's just gonna and it's gonna make it accessible to all the Twitter's users. So that, that's a, that's another amazing thing. So now th my question is like I, I don't even I don't even know what that is. I know Toro that that's a centralized exchange, right? So mm -hmm. and they're gonna be trading cryptocurrencies and pr potentially decentralized exchange tokens. So at the end of the day, they're gonna have to learn how to you know sushi swap. It's gonna have to learn how to live <laughs> with Robinhood, yeah. Yeah. Toro, and uh, Coinbase. Right. And, and, you know, and I, I like Coinbase. I have Coinbase. I, yeah, I yeah. think I like the decentralized exchanges as well. I think Coinbase needs support because we, we need that to become a center of trust. Right. In terms of cryptocurrency, it's a custodian. Right. Right. As opposed to what FTX was. Like, if you know FTX, if you buy something from FTX or a Voyager, you own a claim to the token, not the token itself. Right. But with with Coinbase, when you buy Bitcoin, you own the Bitcoin. Own it. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate Bitcoin for that. And a lot of people don't know that when they're using these other exchanges because it's in the fine print, mm -hmm. that they don't own the underlying cryptocurrencies. I think a lot of people are starting to find that out when we're seeing the bankruptcies right. and people losing their, their cryptocurrencies. But Coinbase is true. It's a, a true custodian of our assets. And if you want to lend them your tokens you can opt in right. to stake your ethereum so i appreciate coinbase as a decentralized and i think we need to encourage it because yeah if we had like right now even the sec is they're attacking coinbase which is funny because i remember i don't know if you guys remember i remember the ipo for coinbase right i remember it I, so, I so remember. coinbase was approved by the sec right <laughs> <laughs> so it's so I don't understand what where the SEC is going with that, but yeah. if they're attacking Coinbase as a decentralized exchange, I don't know what they're going to do about SushiSwap yeah. and all the other ones. Uh, but I do know that both of them have to live with one another. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, so if I want to do it, like, it just depends on, you know, what we want, you know. But if we look at it like big picture, because I was just looking at it through a U.S. lens. Yeah. Coinbase isn't offered in every country. Right. Right. So, but sushi swap or MetaMask, like if you have a MetaMask wallet and you can, you know, you have access to the internet, you can use a decentralized exchange. Right. Right. So it's, it's borderless. Right. So I actually prefer like in terms of security, I like Coinbase because yeah. it's secure. I like decentralized exchanges because they're secure. secure. These other ones that are out there that people are using, Binance should be secure, but you know, Binance isn't allowed to be uh, accessible in, in Texas. Yeah. So I don't know. I, don't I didn't know, know that. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I don't know if it's secure. I don't know much about Binance's uh, stance on uh, uh, it being custodian, but 
I like I like Coinbase. The woman earlier that we were talking about that ended up on the FBI's 10 most wanted list, they call her the crypto queen. I don't know if you heard of OneCoin. <laughs> OneCoin was her. Is it one inch coin? No, it's OneCoin. One coin? So it launched in 2014 and she defrauded investors of more than $4 billion over three years before she disappeared with $4 billion. Yeah. What? Yeah. And basically she was traveling. She was having these big conferences and telling people this money's growing. We're one of the biggest crypto companies and we're going to make you all this money. And so people were investing, investing. Nobody could see this money or if it was growing or if it was, if it was, you it was know, hype. Yeah. It was yes. all hype. So wow. three years later, <laughs> gone with $4 billion. Yeah. So they're offering $100,000 for her. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're going to catch her uh, eventually. I think there was Alameda Research. Before that, there was USDT. They remember USDT had a big issue, and the issuer of USDT was Terra Luna. Mm. And Terra Luna was this big Ponzi because they're like promising 20% returns or something yeah. crazy if you held a token and it collapsed in like, in like a day, like it was a planned attack. It was a coordinated attack by some very smart people yeah. that wanted to make money off the collapse. But the orchestrator, I can't remember his name. He disappeared in the wind right? and he just got caught. So let's say he was on the run for like a year. He just, eventually you're going to get caught in yeah. some jurisdiction trying to spend some money. Um, he got called. Sam Baker Free got called. Every, everyone's right. going to go down. Yeah. And, and that's why we need more regulation right? to prevent people from even getting the $4 billion. <laughs> and then, you know, they're able to go. I live. think I think it was <laughs> it made me laugh personally because I'm thinking, you know, you have small businesses that go try to get business loans and they can't. You have people with really good business plans that go into a bank and the bank won't lend them money. And then you have this person who can stand on a stage and convince a whole audience to give her money, and she ran off with it. Like, persuasion. pitch must have been amazing. Yeah, it's persuasion. But if you think about it, if somebody came in here who had a billion dollars and they want you to invest $100,000, that's a billionaire. Like, you're going to give them $100,000 if you think you can get your money out of it. Especially if they can convince I'm you. I'm going to verify that you're a billionaire <laughs> first. Well, she was. I think she was. Um, she was actually really good at what she did. She had a long resume, like a very impressive resume. She, she wasn't just a nobody. No, she wasn't. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she wasn't just nobody. She was somebody who she got the trust of a lot of people and who was connected. And so we had a, uh, a podcast on persuasion and given the right uniform and given the right, you know, you're in a room with a bunch of other investors. You don't want to. You don't. Wanna, you don't want to have FOMO, right? You're, you have fear mm. of missing out. You need to act now. It's only a limited time. Like you know, what I'm saying it's persuasion goes a long way. So, yeah. I'm wondering if she has some uh, fake returns. Yeah. Because a lot of people, they see numbers and they're like, oh, okay, you've been making 20% or 30% a month. Right. Um, let me let me get into that. Right. Well, one of the things that, that, <laughs> um, that they called out about her crypto was that it was shrouded in mystery. So you didn't know how much was held and who held it. And like, so there was so much vagueness. And that's one of the things that they talk about. The FBI's uh, webpage talks about. Don't invest in something you don't know. <laughs> yeah, you something can't you see. can't see. Yeah. Like something you don't understand. Like like keep don't don't get involved in that. So uh, my last question that I have for today: What are the most promising use cases for cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology beyond finance and investments that you can think of? Beyond finance and investment, I think the 
the, the utilization for property rights recreation, whether it's tangible, intangible right. property rights. That I think that's gonna be the that's like the next next logical step. Yeah, I and, agree. And I think the bankers, the bankers have had their day with the investments, and I'm I get excited because I'm like the property property is legal, right? So the right. lawyers, you know, now we we have to step up. And what I'm finding is a lot of attorneys, like the, and the SEC attorneys, they're all over it because they right. they want it to be. They're, they're concerned about it being a form of stock, right? And maybe that's going to be the first avenue where we see Nasdaq, where we see Facebook or right. Meta, and, right. and these uh, and Google and other blue chip stocks being traded as tokens, right, or coins. So that's going to drive adoption or acceptance, yeah, into the crypto space because now you have the you know the old I don't want to say now you have. Um, I don't know the, the best way to say it. <laughs> they have op- the retirees right. who own Apple, Google, and because they're like tried and true. Mm-hmm. Now, if we get it now, now, if we get them in the tokens, I mean, yeah, you know, may- maybe they'll, you know, they- they'll get into it. But I think that's a natural. What do you think? Yeah, yeah I, think, I, think- I agree with you. I, I agree that it's a natural evolution. Um, and in order to get it to adapt mainstream, you've got to go with something that everybody knows and trusts. Convert that into coin, and I think there's no limit. Yeah, to I what think it could be. Yeah, I think I think there's so many different applications that we can't even fathom them all, and I, I think it's going to change the way that we see money and the way that we transact uh, between each other and across the across the globe. Um, it's going to make the world a smaller place. You know? oh, yeah. Well, and think like the internet. Like, <laughs> I remember checking out library books and having to go get books to read the Dewey Decimal you know? System. Like, right? You remember the Dewey <laughs> Decimal, huh? <laughs> Like you don't have to do that now, you know, you have all this information at your fingertips. And I think that crypto is going to be, you know, like that next evolution of. Yeah. Yeah. Of data storage and Mm -hmm. information protection. Yeah. yeah. So, and and when we think about like the cloud, like right now, you know, Google, Microsoft, Apple, they almost have a monopoly on cloud data storage. So I know like we put me my wife and I pay 50 bucks a month for additional data storage so we can, yeah. so we don't lose our photos and our videos that record on our phones. Right. Right. Google, you know, I don't know everyone. I think everyone gets a Google drive. If you have Google, Microsoft has their own drive mm-hmm. and then you can bu- acquire additional storage. Right. Yeah. So in the future, just like banking and, and it already exists. So if you look at Batorin token, there's also Filecoin. Yeah. So Filecoin. Filecoin is a token that's trying to achieve decentralization of the cloud mm-hmm. and allow everyone to participate in offering cloud storage. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting how the technology works. It's like everyone, everyone has a copy of whatever document or a piece of that document on their computer. So if half the people's computers are destroyed, you know, that document's still saved on the Filecoin cloud. Right. And if it can reach a critical mass like Bitcoin to where like Bitcoin is the most secure network in the entire world, that it's virtually unhackable. Right. Yeah. Theoretically, it is hackable, but a country, you know, you'd have to expend trillions of dollars to hack it. Right. To hack something that's only worth a trillion dollars. Yeah. Or yeah. <laughs> so it's not even worth potentially hacking. hack it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Potentially hack it. Then you hack it and then they find you. They figure it out and they kick you off the network. And you did all that for no reason. So. Uh, if if you can get a coin that or a, a system 
like Batorin token, and it reaches a critical mass to where you know that it's reliable, that there are enough people on the network that if half of it fails, you still have your data there. You know, I think that's, and, and then we'll have, you know, there are major, like Riot Blockchain is a company designated specifically for mining Bitcoin. Right. So can Microsoft, Google, can these companies just be uh, nodes on a broader you know, data storage blockchain? We'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But is that something that, right, like, immediately, do we care about that? We'll, we'll, do we want to pay Ethereum for someone to store our photos? Right. I don't know. We got to figure out some interface for that. Yeah, yeah. It seems a lot. Apple is so convenient. Right. So now we're going to have to see Apple merge mm -hmm. with some other you know, platform. And I, I see it going the way because if people continue to be born, we continue to make videos and phones, like how is Apple going to continually have enough storage? Yeah, exponentially growth. It's going to continue to grow and grow yeah. and more storage and more storage. And you know what? Those pictures and those videos are priceless to whoever owns them. It's the only reason people pay for that incremental increase in storage over and over. And, and, and as you get more and more pictures and videos, you just buy more and more memory. It's all got to be stored somewhere. Yeah. You know? If uh, if there was a cryptocurrency or a token that interfaced with my photos and my iPhone yeah. to where I had a choice, like, hey, store it over here, mm -hmm. or you can buy the $100, you know, four terabyte or five terabyte package. Right. So people, so I'm paying, I'm paying 600 bucks a month to store photos. And, <laughs> I'm not six, 600 bucks a year. To yeah. Store photos and, and pictures, which, yeah. is, which is a lot. That's a lot. We care about it. Yeah. Um, but, but it's because you only have so many choices. Yeah, exactly. That's, you only have yeah. this choice, this yeah. choice or this choice. Like, you yeah. know, yeah. yeah. And, and as that becomes more, there become more options, that price drops. Maybe at some point we'll only be paying $60 a year for storage, you know? That'd be nice. Yeah. And convenience. <laughs> yeah. That's convenience. Yeah. Because we need that. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see if Apple. Yeah. Probably, Apple probably making a lot of money <laughs> on there. On charging for extra, extra stores right now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So if you've been thinking about investing in crypto, but the mysticism and newness of the digital currency has kept you hesitant, then today's topic should have given you some much-needed insight and education and a strong starting point. This is your call to action if you have interest but just don't really know where to begin your journey and experience with crypto. We're going to ask you to become a participant in Crypto Twitter. To do that, all you need is a Twitter account. If you don't have one, it is easy to sign up for Twitter.com. Use the search bar at the top of Twitter interface to search for relevant hashtags like cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain, and many, many more specific terms related to the crypto world. Browse through the search results and follow accounts that regularly post about cryptocurrencies, blockchain technology, and related topics. We will put some of the more popular accounts in the show notes uh, to help you get started. Uh, so you'll see those in the, in, the, in the show notes. Here you'll be able to engage with the contents by liking and retweeting and replying to tweets. Uh, this will help you stay updated on the latest news, opinions, and discussions within the crypto community. By following these steps, you will become part of the crypto Twitter community and gain access to a wealth of knowledge, some insights, and perspectives on the world of cryptocurrencies. Carl, thank you for joining us and being so informative and knowledgeable on such a technical and very, very new topic of crypto. As an attorney, I know that your time is not just limited, but it's also very valuable. So we appreciate the time that you've taken out of your schedule to be a part of our show today. Um, do you have any advice for our listeners as they get ready to dip their toes into the dark waters of cryptocurrency? Uh, yeah, before you uh, 
dip your toe into the water, to the dark waters, um, check the temperature first. Educate yourself first, and then dive in. Dive in. I like it. <laughs> Great advice. We look forward to having you back in the future to talk and learn more about crypto, taxes, and business structures, among other topics that you have expert knowledge on. Thank you so much. The world is changing. 30 years ago, computers were the size of a room and cell phones had to be carried in a bag the size of a briefcase. Today, our phones are damn near supercomputers and they fit in our pockets. Everything we do is connected digitally in one way or another. Crypto is here. It is better to get educated on it and learn it so that you're not left behind when it becomes necessary to own it, have it, and to use it. To use it. If you found today's discussion relatable and impactful, then we encourage you to show your support by liking, subscribing, and following us on all social media platforms. By doing so, you'll gain access to the latest episodes and exclusive behind-the-scenes content that you won't want to miss. Don't hesitate. Join our growing community of enthusiastic listeners today. Additionally, we would greatly appreciate if you could leave us a comment on the streaming platform that you use to listen to our show. Hearing from our listeners is always a delight, and your feedback can help us tailor our content to your interests. Tell us what topics you'd like for us to tackle next. We are all ears.